0: Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com. ...to be here this morning, seriously. Uh, it's Dee's and I, as he said, we go way back to the Auburn days. Went to school together, went to seminary together. Um, he was there when I met my wife. Only time I've ever seen Dee's speechless. Um, <laughs> When I told him after three months of knowing this girl that I was going to marry her, and uh, so we've just we 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 go way back. Uh, we've been to many countries around the world together, traveled to many places, and so now I get to stand here and just have a, a few moments with you guys uh, this Sunday morning, and and I'm I'm just really I'm really thankful, really grateful, really humbled, really honored to be able to spend a few minutes with you guys this morning. Uh, tell you a little bit about uh, myself and what, what we do. I mean, uh, Jason said that, that we live over in Southeast Asia. So, my wife and our six little ones, from age 11 down to three months, are, are in Thailand right now. Uh, so, we live, in, we live in Thailand. We've been in Thailand for the last seven months. Uh, before Thailand, we lived in Indonesia. Uh, we were in Indonesia for about 11 and a half years. And we're working with uh, a Muslim people group there and trying to do um, discipleship and church planning among this uh, Muslim people group there. Took a new role with our organization. We're with the International Mission Board. I don't know if you guys uh, remember, I, I was actually here back in February uh, at the Missions Conference. And uh, Zane Pratt, also, you know, the guy with the white beard who's preached here a couple of times. Uh, so, he and I are with the same organization, he's a vice president with our organization in Richmond, Virginia, and, and um, so I, I serve as what's called a, an operations director over Southeast Asia. So, kind of looking at all of Southeast Asia. And you might say, uh, okay, you keep saying Southeast Asia, what, what countries does that include? So there's a few countries included in Southeast Asia. You've got basically the islands, what we differentiate between the islands and the mainland. So you've got Indonesia which is actually the largest Muslim country in the world. It's not in the Middle East. And so we hear about lots of the Middle East from Josh earlier, but Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. And then you've got the Philippines, and then you've got uh, Malaysia. uh, Then you go up on the mainland and you got Vietnam and Cambodia, Laos, uh, Thailand, and Myanmar, which uh, formerly known as Burma, which you guys might've heard. I just heard recently that Francis Chan uh, is actually going to pick up and move to Myanmar, move to Burma as a missionary. He's going to move there in February. Um, and so, you know, uh, Jason and I were talking about it. Jason said, yeah, some guy came up and said to me, like, wow, it's like really amazing that like Francis Chan is moving to to Burma, to, to Myanmar. But we've actually been sending missionaries to Myanmar for a long time now. And uh, nothing against Francis. I mean, that's, that's great. I feel like the Lord's really doing something awesome in his life. But we have multiple teams that are there in Burma. And uh, actually Jason and I are gonna get to go visit a couple of them uh, next February. So uh, so yeah, so we're there in in Southeast Asia and basically the focus of our organization of uh, the International Mission Board is uh, kind of a laser focus on church planning. I, I don't know what idea certain people have when you hear of mission work overseas and things like that, but, uh, but we are focused on church planning. We're looking at taking the gospel, seeing it planted in the lives of new believers, discipling them, gathering them into a community of believers, and uh, planting churches all over Southeast Asia. That's what our about 400 missionaries do in uh, in Southeast Asia that we get to be a part of. Uh, this morning, we are going to look at the book of Acts. Uh, not going to talk about missions per se, but I would say that this is this is this is part of it. Uh, so we're going to look at the book of Acts in chapter four. So you guys can be turning over to the book of Acts, chapter four. I was grateful to hear from Jason that some of you were, were touched by his sermon last week, uh, looking at Matthew six. And in fact, uh, didn't even realize that you preached that text, but I've I've got that included uh, in my sermon as well at the end. Um, this is a this is a this is a big topic. It's a big topic, talking about generosity. It's talking about it's talking about touching these these uh, these sensitive areas in our life or what can be sensitive. But uh, I, it's well worth our time and it's well worth the extra consideration. I don't think that spending thirty minutes on a Sunday morning is. Is adequate amount of time for us to consider these things. So I, 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 would, I would ask you to take these things and to consider them, prayerfully consider them, consider them with your wife if, you, if you're married and, you're, and your kids, and, and just just say, Lord, what would you have us do in terms of, of, uh, of generosity? So we're going to be looking at Acts 4. We're going to be looking at verses 31 to 37. Let me just go ahead and read that for us now. Acts four thirty one. and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This morning, this is what I want us to get out of today. When the Spirit of God fills a person or a community of believers, a church, when the Spirit of God fills a person or a church, the result is a focus on others which is characterized by generosity, and I would say in this case it's characterized by extreme generosity. Okay, so when the spirit of God fills a person or a church, the focus is gonna is it's gonna take us to focus on others, and 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 in this particular text, it's characterized by generosity or, or extreme generosity. Um, so, kind of got three points that I just want us to want us to look at as we as we dive into this text and see what the Lord has for us this morning. the first of those is that the the spirit I would say is the distinguishing factor in this text okay the Spirit of God is the one that's making the difference in this text. He's the key to this entire text and this is a this is a very important point I, I, I hope we'll see why but if you just read this text without the spirit we can go off in all kinds of directions okay? So the Spirit's the key. You cannot read verses 32 to 37 without reading verse 31. Verse 31, again, it says, And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So verse 31 kind of gives us a window, or it's almost like a platform, a foundation for verses 32 to 37 for all this generosity that we see being carried out in uh, in this first church that's in Jerusalem. So I mean, we we see this this generosity, this desire to sell their valuable possessions and to meet needs in the church, and um, the reason that all this is taking place is because they have had an encounter with the Spirit of God. Something that every single one of us desperately needs in our lives. And it's not just a one-time encounter. We need to encounter the Spirit day in and day out. And when you do, or as you already have, and as you already know, your life will look different. Your marriage will look different. Your family will look different. The way you treat other people will look different. We desperately need to be touched by this same spirit. So I would say this is the distinguishing factor that's going on in this, in this text. You know, this is coming, Acts 4 is coming at a, at a crucial time in history, okay? I feel like we would be amiss to not pay attention to the context of what's happening in this, in this extremely crucial time in history here in Acts 4. Basically, um, just weeks before this text, we know that Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was put in a tomb and then three days later he raises again. okay? And then 40 days after that, he ascends to heaven. there's about 120 or so believers, maybe you know roughly the size of, uh, of this group in here, about half the size of this group in here. and they're, they're gathered together. And then the day of Pentecost, this Jewish holiday, is ha- this Jewish festival is happening, and um, and they're meeting, and and these tongues of fire descend on them in Acts chapter two, the story that we're familiar with. And with and these tongues of fire descend on them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, and then you know Peter goes out and he preaches this sermon, and three thousand people come to faith. So what's happening is that. Um, the crucial part is, is basically, this is marking a turning point of where the Spirit lives, where the Spirit dwells. Before this time, the Spirit was, was confined, as it were, or confined himself, basically to one place on earth. What was the one place on earth that the Spirit confined himself to pre-Jesus? He confined himself to the temple that was in Jerusalem, okay? And, and specifically that one small little room in the temple called the Holy of Holies. He confined himself to that temple. And then Jesus comes along and you might remember like in John chapter two, when Jesus first starts his ministry and he goes in and he cleans out the temple and he says to them a very provocative statement. He says, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. And they get real heated and they're like, what this took us 46 years to build this thing. And you're telling us that you're gonna, you're you're just gonna erect this temple back in three days. And it says in the text that Jesus was actually talking about the temple of his body. And so this is a crucial text that's showing us that Jesus came not to enter into the temple per se, and not for this to, to call down the spirit on the temple. Jesus came and he's actually replacing the temple. Jesus himself is the temple. The distinguishing mark of that temple was that the spirit of God lived in the temple. And now we've got a turning point where the spirit of God is no longer going to live in that building in a small country in the Middle East. The spirit of God now dwells in the person of Jesus himself. And as Jesus goes to the cross, and as Jesus is raised from the dead and he defeats sin, he makes possible that that spirit can now come and he can live inside of you and inside of me. This is extremely good news. This is what Jesus offers to us. You know, sometimes we talk about being saved. You know, I got saved. Uh, (laughs) Talk about it the other day with Gilder talk about being saved and, and being saved is a wonderful thing and having salvation in Jesus but Jesus doesn't just save us he doesn't just save us from our sins he offers us so much more. He saves us so that we can now become a, a temple of the Living God so that his spirit now can dwell within us and that's what Jesus makes makes possible for us. you remember when Jesus is up on the cross in the Gospel of Mark, the account of Mark, and Mark's writing this down, and he's recounting all this, and he says that in Mark 15, he says that uh, that when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, that the that the veil of the of the curtain, the the, the curtain of the temple, was torn in two. And it says from top to bottom. It's basically God. He was taking that curtain where the spirit of God dwelled, and he's r- ripping it in two, and the spirit leaves. That place is unleashed, if you will, and the spirit goes out. And now doesn't just dwell in that one small place; he can live inside of all of us. And this is what's happening in Acts chapter four. Sometimes it might be, you know, boring to talk about temples and and things like this, and uh, we don't really get the whole temple thing. And I would just say, like in our context in Southeast Asia, there's temples everywhere. This is how people are trying to get back to God. This is how people are trying to find peace in their hearts. The Muslims are going into mosques. The, the Buddhists are going into their Buddhist temples. And they're trying to find a way to get back to God. We don't have so much temples in America now. I would say that we have other ways that we're trying to make peace in our hearts. Maybe the little temples that we've created. You work that out. trying to make peace with God. the way that we make peace with God we don't go into a building, we don't even come to a pastor we can uh, to guide us along to help us along but we don't come to, we don't come to a pastor, we don't come to a priest. we just simply we come to Jesus. That's all you got to do. Jesus has opened the way. So we come to Jesus you want to experience the, the presence of the Spirit in your life come to Jesus. That's what's happened to this first church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4. They've come to Jesus. The Spirit is indwelling them, as it says in, in, in verse 31. And now um, they're doing these amazing things. So this text, it's not just about, it's not just about doing good deeds. This is the problem that if we just go straight to verses 32 to 37 without talking about the spirit, this is the problem. We get to this text and we say, you know what? Ugh. I feel like I need to do something good now. And you're missing the point of the text. God's not calling you to good deeds. He's calling you to surrender. He's calling you to surrender your life and surrender all kinds of things that we'll talk about in just a minute. So that you can experience his presence. Second thing that I want us to see out of this text is uh, the result of being spirit-filled, is that we will have a, a, a focus on others. We'll have a focus on others. Okay, this is a this is a, this is a mark of the of the Christian walk here. Um, it's easy to see in this text the focus on others. You look in you look in uh, verse 32. It says, "Now the full number of those believed, who believed, were of one heart and soul, and no one said that." Any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. You go down to verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. There's an obvious focus on others. Uh, And I want to look just at the the one individual that's mentioned in this text right here is a guy by the name of Joseph. He's down in verse 36. And uh, the, the apostles actually give this guy a nickname. And his nickname is Barnabas. Uh, and, the, and the name Barnabas, it means son of encouragement. You think, okay, he's a son of encouragement. Where's his focus? Who's he encouraging? Do you get the name son of encouragement because you encourage yourself? No, your focus is on others. Barnabas's focus is on other people. He's been touched by the spirit of God. And now he cares desperately about the needs of others. He, his eyes have been open. He's able to see where others are struggling. I think some of us aren't there today. I think some of us are not able to see the needs of others. We don't think about it. We go about our day. You work five days a week. I've got the Bama LSU game to watch on Saturday. I've got NFL to watch on Sunday. I mean, this is what we do. And we're missing it. We're not, we're not, we're not seeing that the Lord wants us to use us in, in, the, in the abundance and the overflow of what he's given us to meet meet others' needs. This is what Barnabas is doing. He's a son of encouragement. And look at what he does down in verse 36. Uh, uh, verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I mean the guy is he's been touched by the Lord. He does an extreme thing, extreme generosity. And he gives it so that he can meet the needs, meet the needs of others. Um, this is the work of the Spirit in the life of a believer, in a life of someone who's surrendered their life to Jesus. What the Spirit does is he he frees us from ourselves, essentially. Yeah, yeah, he frees us from sin, absolutely. He calls us to sin no more, but he he frees us from ourself, from this constant focus on self. Something that I've, I've, yeah, an endemic problem here in the States. He frees us from that. Praise the Lord that he does that in our lives. You begin to have a focus on others. You begin to, see others' needs for encouragement. You see others' physical needs. You see others' financial needs. And, and out of the abundance that the Lord has blessed you with, you begin to meet some of those needs. So I would just ask, where are you this morning? You feel like you're characterized by what you read about Barnabas, encouraging others, looking for ways to meet other people's needs? Or do you, do you struggle If you do, just be honest. Be honest with the Lord. And say, I struggle. I struggle with being consumed with myself. I struggle with the constant focus on myself. Tell that to the Lord. He knows your heart. So you can cry out to him and you can just say, this is where I'm at. Help me. Help me not to focus on myself so much. And it's not I just want to focus on other people. It's help me to surrender my life so that focusing on other people becomes a joy. And I find peace in that. So where are you this morning? Looking at this text, I feel like there's, uh, you know, I feel like when I read this text, there's like a huge purple elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. I mean, we see this church and basically they're selling houses and lands and giving it to the apostles, giving it to these first elders of this first church that was planted there in Jerusalem. So they're, they're, they're giving it to the church to meet other people's needs and I mean the 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 obvious question is what in the world does this mean for me? What what am I supposed to do with this? And we it might be a little you know a little nervousness that comes up. Well, you're not calling I mean come on. You're not calling me to do this. So I think we need to dive down just a little bit more and I want to give you guys just a a, a great tool for studying the Bible, okay? This is a great tool. It's the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Okay? Y'all hang with me for just a second. So, the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. So, descriptive is basically like when, you know, Luke is writing the book of Acts, he's just describing what's happening here. Okay? Prescriptive is when an author of the Bible is writing something, maybe the words of Jesus and it's prescribing something that you and I are commanded to do okay so this is a, this is a this is a very useful tool. Hopefully when you're you're reading the word, I wake up every morning and spend time with the Lord in his word and so uh, you know there's certain tools that we can have. this is a great tool to have the difference between descriptive and prescriptive okay? So the question is, in Acts 4, is this a descriptive text or a prescriptive text? Well, I mean, we we can go to other texts and, you know, like Luke 18. Remember when Jesus is talking to the rich ruler and he tells him, he says, one thing you still lack, so you can finish it, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Okay? Descriptive or prescriptive. Is that Jesus? He's prescribing that for all time that all of his followers need to do. Or is it descriptive? Is it just is it just describing? Luke's just describing what Jesus says to this one guy in a in a snapshot in history. And I would say that this is a descriptive text. He's talking to this one guy, and it's not about his finances and selling everything and giving to the poor. What Jesus wants is he notices that his heart is attached to what he has. And Jesus is saying, you've got to be free from what you have before you can follow me. So so give, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. It is a true statement. And if he had chosen that, he would have found freedom in Jesus. And he didn't, because he was too attached to his possessions. That's a descriptive text. You look at uh, this same church in Jerusalem, this first church, we're in, we're in Acts 4. If you go back to Acts 2, you'll see that at the end of Acts chapter 2, uh, this same church, it says that, and day by day, they're attending the temple together. So they're going into the temple together, descriptive or prescriptive. Is this something that the church needs to do for all time? That we need to build temples just like the one that's in Jerusalem, and we need to go into this temple, and that's where we have our worship. Did we miss something? And the answer is no. This is a descriptive text. It's describing what was going on in the uh, in the first church. Okay, this is actually a very transitional time. We already talked about this. This is transitioning from the spirit of God in the temple to the spirit of God in Jesus and His followers. Okay, so we don't go into temples. We're not building temples. This is descriptive. There's some examples of prescriptive in text uh, in 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 the Bible. So an example of prescriptive, something that God is prescribing to us would be to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Actually, lots of things that are found in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, are prescriptive things. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus will never go, come around to another person and say, do not love your enemies, okay? I, I think this is a prescriptive text that we should always love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which is a, a, a fitting text for um, uh, even Josh's ministry, help the persecuted. We pray for those. We pray that the Lord will, will, will do a work among those in ISIS. Paul was in a quasi-ISIS uh, group, if you will, persecuting the church. Lord can Lord can change hearts he can do it. Uh, So we pray for those. So that's a prescriptive text. Um, I pulled out Colossians 3.13. It says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Okay. I would say this is a prescriptive text. In Jesus, God has forgiven us of our sins. And And so Paul is saying that because of that, because of what Jesus has done in your life, you should forgive your wife you should forgive your friend or your former friend you should forgive that person that you're holding bitterness against you should forgive that person this is this is prescriptive we should be marked as people who are quick to forgive okay so this is, i hope you're kind of seeing the difference between descriptive and prescriptive so back to our text acts 432 through 37 they're selling land they're selling houses. They're coming and they're laying all this stuff at the apostles' feet. Descriptive or prescriptive? So I would say that it, this seems to be a descriptive text. It's describing what this what this first church is doing. You know, I I find it interesting that in the rest of the New Testament, in Paul in his in his writings, and then also Peter in the in the two uh, books that he wrote, two letters that he wrote. They never reference back to this first church and say, you guys need to do exactly what that church did. They were selling land and houses. You guys need to go and sell land and houses. So I would. this seems to be a descriptive text. It's describing what's happening. And so you might be thinking, okay, I'm glad that you told me this is a descriptive text. I thought you were going to suggest that I do something crazy this morning and go sell my house, or sell my land, and give it to those who are in need. If you are relieved to hear that this is a descriptive text, I think you're completely missing what God wants to say to you this morning. I don't think God wants your house. I don't think God wants your land, something that you bought as an investment, or some funds that you've got in the market, or in some other accounts. I think one, I think God wants every single bit of you. I think he wants your heart. I think he wants you to be fully surrendered to him. And as we do that, will will it, it will it will always have implications on what the Lord has given us. Okay? But you're going to you're going to work that out with the Lord. You're gonna work that out in your heart, or what would you have me do? What do you want me to do? I'm telling you, it's not just our—it's it's not just our finances; it's our time, it's our energy. But when you give the Lord your heart, when you truly surrender to Him, it will have implications. You will begin, um, as we've seen here, to have a focus. On other people, You know, if, if Jesus said this prescriptively, it's very, very dangerous, actually. If he prescriptively, if he prescribed to us, go and sell your land and your houses and distribute it to those who are in need. You know what we start doing? We turn it into this legalistic thing. Where we say, if I just sell my house and I give it to the poor, I'm going to find favor with God. He's going to love me. And he's going to accept me if I'm peace in my heart. It doesn't work that way, okay? He wants you to surrender your life. He wants you to surrender all that you have and hold it out before him. And it will inevitably, as we'll see in just a minute, it will have uh, implications. And this leads us into our, our third point. So when we start to follow Jesus and we experience that indwelling or that filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we begin to see the Spirit's work in our life, um, your, don't miss this point, your grip on your possessions will start to loosen. Okay? I would say this is across the board. When you get closer to Jesus, your grip on your possessions, will start to loosen, okay? There is, a, there is a relationship here. You will no longer see yourself as the one who has pulled himself up by his bootstraps and made this happen so that the Lord has blessed me, but you'll begin to see that the Lord is the provider of all things. And so everything that I have is essentially the Lord's. And you surrender that back to the Lord. And you say, God, what would you have me do? I want my grip to be loosened. I want to hold out in front of you everything that I have. Lord, if you want me to sell my house, I'll sell my house. If you want me to sell land, I'll sell land. If you want me to give what I have to the poor, I will do that. That's the place where God wants you to be. And when you're in that place, you will be in such a sweet place with the Lord. And I have no idea what he's going to tell you to do. I have no idea. That is between you and the Lord and you'll work that out. As you say, God, I'm holding it all out before you. I would say that I'd say we do that with our entire lives. We should as believers. We should hold out our entire lives. You say, God, what would you have me do? You want me to stay right here in this job, the same job for the next 20 years? Praise the Lord, I'll do it. You want to move over to Indonesia? Praise the Lord, I'll do it. You're calling me to go somewhere else? I'll do it. What would you have me do, Lord? You'll be in a sweet place. It might be a dangerous place. I love C.S. Lewis. He, you know, He, does, he, he says, he says, God isn't safe, but he's good. Wow. That's awesome. Let's be in a place where we can say, God, in your goodness, do with me what you would have what, what you would do. That'll make it safe. So I would say, I, I would say, you know, the reverse of this, our, so our as as we get closer to Jesus, our grip on our possessions, on the things that the Lord has blessed us with it begins to loosen. I would say the reverse of this is also true. I would say the tighter our grip is on our possessions, on the things that I would say the Lord has given us, the tighter that grip is, I would say the further away from Jesus you will become. Okay, There's an inverse relationship that's happening between the grip on your possessions and your closeness with Jesus. Notice that I I did not say there's an inverse relationship between having possessions, and being close to Jesus, okay? Look at this text. There are obviously people of means that are in this text. They've got a land, they've got houses. They have these things. Presumably, after this text, they didn't just hang it up and just say, you know what, I'm not gonna work anymore. I already gave my house, I gave my land, so I'm done, I quit. No, presumably, they continue to be people of means and continue to meet needs along the way. So I think there's this inverse relationship between the grip that we have on our possessions and our closeness to Jesus. As we become closer to Jesus, your grip will always begin to loosen. Okay? Take that. Pray through that. Talk to the Lord about that. Again, be honest with the Lord. He already knows your heart. Don't worry about it. Just just tell him where you are. Lord, I I feel like I have a tight grip on my possessions. Lord, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. and I I don't know what to do. I don't even know what to do with this text. How can I focus on other people? I got to pay off all this debt. We got to work this out. I can tell you the first step, come to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Give it all to him and say, I will do with it what you would have me do. As Jason preached last week, Matthew 6, you cannot serve both God and money, both God and mammon, okay? There's a, there's a, there's a, it doesn't mean you can't, you can't have both God and money. That's not what the text says. It says you can't serve both God and money, okay? Let's consider that, work that out. So I us say, where are you this morning? This is, this is a, this is a huge topic, Okay? this topic of generosity, this extreme generosity that we're seeing here in Acts 4. This is a, this is a massive topic. It's a, it's a, it is a heart issue. And it involves being close to Jesus, being far from Jesus. So this is massive. And I was just say, where, where, where are you this morning? What do you need to do? Have you experienced this this work of the of the Spirit in your life, have you experienced that loosening of your grip on your possessions? Has this led you to start to notice the needs of other people? Has this led you with the desire to meet the needs of other people? And sometimes that gets all messed up. Well, I don't know, if, you know, this person, it'll work or this or that or whatever. And, and we, we begin to make excuses. Does it lead you to have that desire to say, "I want to meet other people's needs"? The Lord has blessed me. I, I, I want to. I want to bless others. Do you see yourself growing in generosity toward others as you walk with Jesus, seeking to meet the needs of others out of the abundance that the Lord has blessed you with? I'll leave you with those questions, and uh, just want to pray for us and uh, just respond. To, uh, to what we've heard this morning. Father, I, uh, I just praise you for your word written 2,000 years ago, and yet it is so relevant to where we are in 2019 in Atlanta, Georgia. And it hits us and it challenges us. And Father, we want to just hold ourselves out before you Father, we want to surrender our lives to you. I pray for for the folks here that are at Christ's Covenant Church. And God, I ask that you would do a work in their lives, in each one of their lives, wherever they are in their walk with you, Lord, would you do a work in their lives? Would you take what we've heard this morning? Would would your spirit speak to their hearts? Father, would this have implications? Would we see this worked out in the lives of individuals here at Christ Covenant? Would we see this worked out in the life of Christ Covenant Church itself? And when we see Christ Covenant just be a, a beacon of light for the gospel and for Jesus, that people can say something's going on there, and it's something different than what we're experiencing. So God, we just pray that you would uh, do a work. We love you and we thank you for your word and for what you've spoken to us this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Christ Covenant Sermon Podcast. If you have any prayer needs, questions, or comments about the sermon, we would love to hear from you. So please text us at 678-951-9041. Or feel free to email Jason at jason at christcovenant.com.